In this episode, we discuss the combination of Automation ML, OPC UA, and the Asset Administration Shell in the context of Industry 4.0. My guest on this episode is Dr. Miriam Schleipen. Miriam is the Chief Research Officer at EKS Intech, dealing with semantic interoperability in automation systems based on digital twins and their application in automation environments. She is the head of the joint working group of the OPC Foundation and Automation ML. She leads the German Glossary Industry 4.0, and she also participates in national and international standardization groups dealing with semantic interoperability in Industry 4.0. Miriam studied computer science and holds a PhD in engineering from Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Between 2005 and 2017, she was engaged in applied research on manufacturing execution systems and interoperability at the Fraunhofer IOSP, where she was in leading positions for eight years. From 2017 to 2021, she worked as a lead software architect for Siemens Digital Industry, where she was a member of the HMI platform software architecture team. Quick thank you to our sponsors. This episode is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an enterprise-grade edge and cloud-based MQTT broker, and Octo22, manufacturers of reliable industrial controllers for automation and IIoT applications. So please do check them out to help support this channel. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry 4 Auto TV, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn Industry 4.0 and IIoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kutzai Manditereza. Now, here is my interview with Miriam. Okay, uh, Dr. Miriam, thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, today. Uh, I would like to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much for having me here. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about uh, Automation ML, uh, OPC UA, and the Asset Administration Shell uh, in the context of uh, Industry 4.0. Okay, uh, so to begin, can you uh, give us an uh, introduction uh, to Automation uh, ML and also outline its role in industry 4.0. Mm -hmm. Sure. So in, in brief, Automation ML is an open and um, standardized um, yeah, file or data exchange format. It's tool and vendor independent and it handles engineering information in um, yeah, automation plans. So this means that it's um, yeah, kind of designed for cross-company and is interdisciplinary exchange of the, the engineer or planning data you have for your manufacturing and process industry plans. And um, it's standardized in the context of the IEC. Now, when we talk about uh, automation uh, ML uh, in industry 4.0, uh, it, it is often associated with uh, uh, its integration with OPC UA. Uh, so what I would like to find out is why do we need the automation ML and OPC UA integration and, and how does that integration work? Yeah, as I said, automation ML handles engineering data. So this means that automation ML is based, I would say, in the in the planning phase of the life cycle. So this means that 
um, it's it's really before the the plant starts. Um, it's real work um, until the the virtual commissioning. Maybe you keep also data, um, yeah, in parallel to the real operation. But automation ML really focuses on engine on the engineering phase, whereas OPCUA is coming from the operation phase. I mean that um, this this standard was designed, um, yeah, for communication and also data exchange during the operation phase of plants. Um, it integrates different hierarchy levels um, and vertically, but are also horizontally. And um, this makes it somehow possible to combine those two because sometimes in the automation ML, there's data which uh, might be interesting to be kept over the operation phase, which maybe changes during the operation phase. And that's one of the use cases where you can combine automation ML and OPC UA. Um, if you uh, integrate those um, yeah, data of the automation ML model into uh, the OPC UA information model. And the other way around, if you have data coming from the operation phase, um, which um, might be of interest uh, already during engineering, for example, configuration data for your OPC UA infrastructure, or um, yeah, also other information which um, is coming from, from the operation phase, uh, such as calculated KPIs, and is maybe interesting for the next engineering phase or re-engineering. And uh, these are two possibilities um, yeah, to combine those two, and uh, both are fixed already since, I think, 2017 um, in uh, standardized documents um, published by the OPC Foundation and by the Automation ML organization. And um, as we were identifying those use cases, um, yeah, these um, two organizations started a joint working group, which was already established in 2014, and uh, which is working um, yeah, already um, yeah, for some years on these common I would say use cases um, which occur in practice. Oh, okay. Just to uh, follow up on that question, there, what sort of mechanism uh, is used to 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 implement that integration? Do we have like a, a companion specification for 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 automation ML? Could you expand on on that? Yeah, exactly. So on the on the side where uh, we are, um, I would say integrating automation ML in OPC UA information models, it, it is exactly what you, you mentioned. There is a companion specification which was published in 2017, um, which is mentioning how to, uh, to map automation ML model information into OPC UA information models. And on the other way around, um, there is a best practice recommendation. This is um, yeah on the automation ML organization side, uh, which was already uh, published also, I think, in 2017, yeah. uh, which is called uh, the best practice recommendation on um, data, um, yeah, the, the, on the on this data configuration data for OPC UA system configuration. So these two um, yeah, specifications are describing how to, to combine those two standards, I would say. Now, moving on to uh, uh, asset administration shell, I mean, from, uh, from what I gather from, uh, from research and, and, and all, uh, the asset administration shell is a, is a big part of uh, uh, industry uh, 4.0. Uh, could you give us a, a breakdown of the fundamentals of the asset administration shell? Mm -hmm. 
So to, to briefly summarize the asset administration share, I would say that the asset administration share provides information about assets which are of importance for one or several players. Um, it provides a unique identifier to this asset um, and additionally a generic interface to uh, access information concerning the asset. So this means that um, if you have assets and you have additionally this asset administration shell, this uh, asset administration shell makes it possible to, to manage those assets and to, uh, yeah, to access all the information at one place independent of the technology and independent of the company because the asset administration shell is something which evolves over the life cycle so this means that you can have um, documentation information coming from from a device vendor additionally you, you include some some simulation um, sub model for example um, when you are in the virtual commissioning phase um, you can add in your operation phase additional KPIs concerning, for example, energy consumption and all those things are um, yeah, somehow linked together uh, via this asset administration shell and it provides mechanisms uh, or interfaces um, so that you can find this uh, administration shell and uh, that you can access the information which is uh, described there. And Maybe one thing which is really important is that there are different types of asset administration shells. And this is somehow confusing if, if you're yeah. discovering one uh, type or the other type, because you have a passive type one, um, which is just, uh, how to say, a serialized file. So this is really pure file description of your assets. Then you have the type two, this is the reactive asset administration shell type. And there you have the possibility to access the information described inside the asset administration shell. And there is a third part, and this is really the future thing that you have proactive um, type three asset administration shells, which, um, yeah, which interact directly, not with some other system, but uh, with other asset administration shells so that all the assets get their administration shell and all the administration shells are interacting with each other. Um, and you do not have any human or system in between that. Uh, so they are talking, it's often called an industry for the zero language. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Now, well, since the asset administration shell basically uh, provides an, in, an interface to, to, to the information of, a, of an asset, is it, is it possible to define an information model uh, inside an asset administration shell? And uh, if so, how, how, how does that work? Yeah, the asset administration shell has a, um, yeah, a meta model description um, inside and some mappings to different, I would say, serialization um, yeah, standards and also communication standards. And um, the main concept, which has been mentioned there for, for the definition of the information model inside an asset administration shell is the, the concept of the submodels. So this means that not all of the information is um, just summarized in one big, um, one big tank inside the asset administration shell, but everything is divided into submodels. 
So this means that, for example, if you have um, simulation data, um, you have submodel for simulation. If you have identification data, you have submodel for identification. And if you have documentation data, for example, PDFs or something else, you are um, yeah, you are having the submodel um, documentation. And this concept of the submodels makes it um, yeah possible to uh, to include different aspects. Um, and makes the um, yeah the concept of DSS administration share really modular and flexible. Oh, okay. Now we've we've already uh, 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 described the, the 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 combination or the relationship between uh, automation ML and OPC UA. Uh, could you describe for us the the interrelation uh, of the asset administration shell and uh, the automation ML? Mm -hmm. So now it's really getting a little bit complicated because, as I said, the asset administration shell has these submodels and um, two types of possible submodels um, can be represented by automation ML models or also OPC UAA um, yeah, servers and corresponding information models. So this means that if you have, for example, a description of your engineering data, um, concerning uh, your CAD data, for example. Um, and uh, you uh, want to have that um, yeah, accessible via the asset administration shell. You directly include the whole automation ML model as a, I, I call it blob. Um, so you, you do not map everything into the asset administration shell format, but you um, include it really as a, a blob and on, only the final reference to that blob. Um, means that it's accessible via the asset administration shell, um, but somehow the submodels are really um, yeah, separated. And on the other hand, um, there is um, the possibility or the, the definition of this meta model I already uh, mentioned. And you have the possibility to have that represented as um, JSON, but also as automation ML format. So you can describe asset administration shells directly in automation ML. But um, these different mappings and the same thing is uh, yeah, somehow corresponding on the OPC UA side, you have this REST API, which is defined for accessing asset administration shells, but you could also have asset administration shells inside the OPC UA server which are then accessible via the OPC UA standard mechanisms, uh, for example, that you can discover them, you can browse them, you can, um, yeah, you can access um, all the information corresponding to that. So from, at least from my point of view, um, the asset administration shell is something which is really on, I, I would say on top of the production because it makes um, these connected worlds um, scenarios possible. So this means that you have different companies over a value stream, you have different life cycles which are combined together. And um, if you then have this asset administration shell, you really have the, the power and the necessity and also the, the um, maybe also the, the opportunities you need um, to realize that and to, to spend this extra effort uh, for uh, creating asset administration shells. In case you are only in the engineering phase, for example, from my point of view, it's, um, yeah, the asset administration shell is something which you could use, 
but it's not necessary to use it. So it, this, this at least is one point which is always a little bit misleading, I, I would say, because um, you are you have somehow to distinguish um, how all these these free standards and the free are not the only ones in the automation domain because there's a bunch of it. Um, yeah, where you need or where you can apply uh, which standard and where it makes um, sense to combine them and where you you do not have the necessity to combine them, for example. So yeah, oh. but at least it's possible to combine them. <laughs> oh yeah, that's interesting. Now maybe jumping back to uh, 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 automation ML, because you mentioned about describing, being able to describe assets uh, on in the automation uh, ML. Uh, uh, now, what what tools uh, do you software tools uh, would one use to to undergo such a, a process of describing uh, assets in automation ML? Yeah, and in fact, there is an um, yeah an automation ML editor available, which is somehow designed for discovering the format and um, yeah creating your first models. So this is something which you can use, um, which you can use also in uh, when you are talking or um, yeah, collaborating with other people so that you have a visual editor to open models, to uh, um, change them, to, uh, um, yeah, to show them to others, to discuss them. Um, on the other hand, there's the automation ML engine that is called, and this is this programmatic interface for accessing automation ML models because automation ML is based um, on XML and um, the uh, automation ML engine is a um, yeah, .NET um, possibility or .NET based possibility to access and also to manipulate automation ML data. But in fact, um, as I said, it is XML, so um, you may also access this via um, yeah, any programmatic language you want to use, uh, which is able to deal with XML. Oh, okay. So, well, with, um, with, with the asset administration shell, because obviously talking about the issue of, uh, of, of sharing and, uh, and interoperability, I mean, for, for, for the asset administration shell to undergo that uh, widespread adoption and, and simplified adoption, uh, there has to be some sort of standardization, you know, it has to be standardized. So what would you say are the conditions that are required for, for standardizing the asset administration shell? Yeah, currently it is already, I would say, um, in progress um, because there, there are some standardization activities in the IAC. Um, I would say they are, um, yeah, compared to automation ML and OPCA, they, they are really at the beginning because there were some some um, yeah some working groups um, founded and they are um, intensively discussing on the document. There is a, um, an IEC standard, uh, at least part one for the standard in the CD stage. So this means that the committee draft was submitted. Um, and is under under review by all the other countries, and um, this uh, at least this uh, would be the first uh, step towards international standardization. On the other hand, um, we have those activities also in the industry 4.0 context concerning the RAMI, the reference architecture model industry 4.0, and uh, this was 
um, there, there was uh, already in 2018 or 17, and um, yeah, and uh, first um, German part um, yeah created there. And there is an ongoing activity of harmonizing that with all the other reference architecture models, which are coming from all the other countries. And both activities are um, yeah, located in the IEC. Um, so at least this definition of the meta model as a standardized format, which doesn't change every second month, for example, so it could, might be or might have the, the, um, the possibility and also the yeah, you, you might want to be sure that if you implement it, it doesn't change every second day because there is some improvement or some something else. But this is really the, the way standardization works that you have stable releases, yeah. which you might base your implementation on. And you, you are really sure that this, for example, is, um, yeah, is stable for at least three years, for example. So that if you invest a lot into the, the implementation, it's not that uh, every second day you have to re-implement or readjust your implementation. Yeah. And I think that's really one, one crucial point because all these um, yeah, interoperability topics and all the free standards are really dealing with interoperability. They only work if you are really, really sure that everything is defined and standardized, which you might want to, uh, to implement. And, um, beside the, the fact that all the three standards have a meta model um, approach, which makes it possible to uh, um, not, so that you do not have to uh, standardize every really single detail, but you standardize the meta model, you standardize the access to the meta model, and you are, you are sure that you, are, you can base your implementation on that, and you also standardize semantics. In this context, but these, this meta model approach is really, really good for uh, having a long, um, yeah, long life standard, but nevertheless have the flexibility to uh, react also on changes which are currently happening in the industry. So, well, clearly these these three technologies, uh, automation, ML, OPC UA, and uh, the asset administration shell, have a, a symbiotic uh, relationship as far as. Uh, Industry 4.0 is concerned. Now, what are the clear benefits and use cases uh, of the combination of these uh, three technologies? Yeah, at least if we are talking about those, I, I already told it connected world scenarios yeah. um, where we have different companies interacting with each other. And to give one example, if you have a device vendor which um, yeah, produces um, devices for a specific use case these devices are sold to any, for example, client operator, and there are additional companies like, for example, our company, EKS, um, where you uh, um, have um, a virtual commissioning of the plant or also the digital twin of a plant, uh, where you have analysis on um, the data the device produces. There you have really a, um, yeah, a value chain and different partners from different companies involved, but the, the application of all the free standards makes sense. Because for example, if you have the device, you might want to exchange engineering data of the uh, device with your simulation environment, but also with your real um, yeah, operating environment. 
Additionally, you might want to have um, yeah, operation data and um, this uh, data coming from the operation phase might uh, be produced in the real world, but as well, uh, you, you can produce this as well in the, in the simulated environment, for example, where you only couple real um, yeah, controllers um, and uh, simulate the rest of the plant. And um, this operational data and the corresponding interface, for example, their Office UAA is really the standard to, to be chosen um, beside all the other network protocols and also feed protocols which are existing. And um, the third thing is that for sure, if you have this engineering data, you have the operational data, you might have additional data concerning documentation or also the identification of the device over its whole life cycle until it's recycled, for example. And you might want to, for example, um, yeah, calculate your carbon footprint of this, uh, either the produced product or the device. And there, all this information comes together. And this means that there, the asset administration shell is really the, the thing which you might want to, to use there as standard, because you have those different parties you have those different also legal entities. They have to be somehow combined information together, but they must also be aware which information is shared, which information um, is accessible to which party. And these use cases are really of interest in future scenarios, I would say, where all these three standards are coming together. Interesting, interesting. Now, well, let's focus on the asset administration uh, uh, shell again. I mean. Uh, you, you might have uh, already touched a bit on that, but when it comes to uh, uh, the implementation of the, of the ecosystem of, of the asset administration shells, uh, are there any best practices that you'd like to share with our audience? I would say, at least from my experience with all these three standards, um, yeah, for the um, engineering phase, I would really prefer on, on using Automation ML as a standard there for exchanging um, complex information between tools which are used in practice, including the, the whole construction phase. Um, on the other hand, for the dynamic exchange of data, which is um, yeah, which really focuses on, on the timely delivery of signals and of the, the corresponding um, yeah, process values. I would um, yeah, go for using OPC UA um, if you might want to have a vendor independent um, yeah, technology. And additionally, if you have um, yeah, something over the whole life cycle, this is really where, where the asset administration shall make sense. Um, so you can have a mix and match between this asset administration shell core, the submodels and serializations and also the, the other technologies um, so that you can really take the benefits from each of them, um, but combine them together. And I would not, not go for any, I would say particular solution where you try to use, for example, only Office UA and do not combine it with other things, or where you try to do everything with the AAS and remodel things, which are may, uh, maybe already there. And this is one, one best practice I discovered during the, the last time in which we also follow at EKS is that we try to, to decide from, from use case to, uh, to use case 
that we try to see which things are really making sense because we're using all the free uh, things um, for sure. Automation ML and OPC UA um, already for a long time, the AAS more in the research context, um, but that you, you have really to decide what makes sense and how you mix those things together. But it's not black or white. It's not either the, the uh, one or the other, but it's really how you, you can benefit from each of the, 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 the strengths of these formats and technologies. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. Now, well, one concept that is uh, really gaining traction as far as uh, smart manufacturing is concerned uh, is that of the digital twin. Uh, so what I would like to find out is uh, what roles uh, does uh, uh, these three technologies play uh, in, in implementation of the digital twin? I would say, so, or in the, in the last time, um, the AAS was somehow um, yeah, at least interrelated to the digital twin or was placed as digital twin technology. But in fact, for me, the digital twin is somehow the digital representation of an asset and there are different, um, yeah, I would call them types of digital twins because you might focus on the digital twin of a product, for example, where you have quality data, where you have um, maybe um, things which are um, concerning documentation of the product or um, yeah, some, some similar things. And um, I would distinguish the digital twin of a production resource, so more the plants, because this is what we are in, in AKS are normally focusing on, that you have a plant, um, you have all the production resources, they are interacting together, you have the behavior, their 3D geometry, all those things. And um, this digital um, yeah, twin of the production resources, for sure has also to handle the products because what do the production resources do during the production process is that they are producing products. So yeah. it means that at least you need to have any model for the product, but it's really um, yeah, somehow different on which things you are uh, really focusing. So if you are more focusing on the behavior of those, those things, either the product or the resource, or if you're more focusing on information so more passive information collection um to to gather all the data which is occurring um yeah around for example a product during its whole life cycle including the recycling and everything um and these are really very 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 different things and uh, there's no i would say single definition of digital twin there are several definitions i, I would say um, I, I know directly more than 10. Um, there, there are a lot of differences between those definitions, but in to, to briefly summarize it for me, digital twin is just a digital representation of something which is, yeah, I would say existing. And this is already one, one discussion point because existing means that it must be there in, in the, the physical world. Um, or it might only be one, one information part. And so this um, real and virtual um, yeah, point is also some, somehow misleading because for example, if you are planning um, something like, a, for example, you are planning your, your production plant yeah. um, 
And at the point in time where you're planning it, this thing, it's not already, it's not yet there. So means that you're completely in the virtual world, but you're planning the real thing, then it's at some point in time really existing. And so there are a lot of discussion points concerning this definition of a digital twin, but yeah, as I said, at least some digital representation. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. All right. Well, now still on the concept of digital twins, uh, a, a while back you 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 shared a post about uh, distributed digital twins. Uh, could you briefly explain to us what uh, distributed digital twins are, are all about? It is uh, at least for us. Uh, this means that you have different parts of the digital twin, um, and one part for sure is the description or information model, including the three D geometry, the kinematic model, um, maybe also some some signalists or other things concerning um, the the thing you or the asset you are representing. And additionally, you might uh, might have um, the the behavior of parts of these digital twin. So it means that there are technologies and standards, for example, the functional mock-up interface, where you are um, able to encapsulate the, the whole behavior and uh, use or execute this behavior by so-called co-simulators. And this is really one promising additional technology um, because you're, you're able to, uh, to encapsulate your behavior you um, can couple um, different parts um, of your, for example, of your production plan together. Um, so you have on the one hand, the, the 3D simulation, you have on the other hand, the behavior simulation, you have a co-simulation, including those um, encapsulated simulation models and all these things, if they are coming together, this is somehow the, the distributed digital twin. And for sure, we have technologies like, for example, Edge and Cloud and uh, possibilities like containerization technologies um, where we are able to distribute those things. So it means that they do not have to exist on one place, but they are really distributed, not only in the sense that these are different aspects which are described, but more in the sense that you can really distribute the execution of them. And you may have three different simulation parts for one product, for example, one which is caring about your energy consumption, the other is caring about your, your behavioral model, and all those things can come together without any monolithic um, solution. And I think that's one of the future concepts that you do not have any big framework which is coming from one vendor, but that you have really many different parts coming together in an open ecosystem which are combined there together. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense actually. Okay, so well, now in conclusion, uh, could you, uh, first of all, uh, tell us more about um, the association behind uh, the automation ML, uh, and then uh, also tell us uh, more about your company, EKS. Mm -hmm. So the um, automation ML association is, um, yeah, somehow the user organization for all the, the parties which are using automation ML means not that you have to be member to use automation ml but if you want to really um, form automation ml and further develop it 
this is the the organization which is caring about how the format is handled, how the standardization strategy is, um, and um, how yeah the dissemination of this format is um, yeah brought towards the the market, and um, yeah it somehow supports all the users which is, are using automation ML um, in their implementation, specification, modeling. Um, it provides software packages like this automation ML easy to an engine we've uh, already talked about, um, but also shares uh, yeah, knowledge about the format and um, provides a possibility for, for trainings and um, yeah, it was founded um, already 15 years ago um 14, 13 years ago 13 years in 2008 um okay. yeah and um a lot of um yeah companies which are really pushing the standard forward our member and active member um yeah in this organization and somehow it's organized like all the organizations like also the opc foundation they are working groups concerning specific topics there are um, yeah, is some some technical advisory council which is I I call it holding all the things together and there's a board which is um, yeah there for for taking the at least the the last decision on some things yeah oh okay and then uh, EKS so um, EKS my company is dealing uh, or is. Uh, mostly working in the virtual world so we are doing um, yeah software development um, we are doing um, design and virtual commissioning um, of complex production plans and we have a range of um, yeah of services uh, which we provide to customers so this means that we are um, yeah doing everything yeah in the complete digital um, development process we're having an in-house uh, development which is called rf suite um, which is realizing virtual commissioning of, of complete production plans and is also the base for our uh, understanding of digital twins and also digital shadows of production plans um, so this means that we are, this RF speed is allowing not only the virtual commissioning, but also the, the analysis and also predictive maintenance of, of real plans. And um, at least um, EKS is a small, medium-sized company, but uh, we are really active also in the research part. So um, yeah, we, we are um, currently involved in, I, I think, four or five international research projects and are always heading for the next level of those uh, applications of standards like automation ML, OPCOA, and also the asset administration shell. Okay, uh, that brings us to the uh, end uh, of this session. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to come out and share your insight with us. Thank you very much.